spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. The Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A license football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Dr. Marsha Goddard. Good morning, Marsha. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Um, with all things considered. Uh, Marsha, just um, just before we get started, I just want to maybe take a brief moment for, to get everyone familiar with yourself. So would you mind maybe sharing a bit of background about who you are what you do and how you've got to where you got to as as best as you can yeah sure yeah I've had a pretty weird career but um uh, I'm a neuroscientist by by trade so I have a PhD in social neuroscience I've worked at the university as an assistant professor for a while um and I've always had a heart for both education and um just help well-being let's put it like that so um a number of years ago I decided to leave the university because I wanted to have a bigger impact on people's lives Um, So I went into business. So now what I do is I use neuroscience and knowledge of the brain to help organizations grow, to help well-being, you know, stimulate well-being on the work floor. And at the same time, I also do a lot of work in education to see how we can help children develop as best they can using those insights from neuroscience. Amazing. Uh, Thank you very much for that, Marsha. I first came into contact with your work um, through a TED Talk video that I saw. I don't want to spoil the surprise and I'm probably not great at relaying a story. So would you mind maybe just sharing a bit of insight around what that was and talk us through that story so that yeah, sure. connected with that as well? Yeah, definitely. So the, the, the TED talk was about, you know, how the way we educate children is not really in line with how children develop. So when you look at how kids learn before they go to school, basically they do everything to, through play. They just play and they start and then they figure out, oh, if I sit up, then this becomes more efficient. So they learn to sit up and then they think, oh, if I was able to walk, then it would be, you know, it would come in handy. So they start walking. It's all by play. And just take walking as an example. I do that in my TED talk as well. As they are learning to walk, they fall down hundreds of times. And every time they just get up and they keep going and we keep telling them, you're doing great. Let's just try one more time. Fantastic. So that's how kids learn naturally and then they go to school and then we sit them down behind the desk and we tell them to sit still and listen and then we try to just cram knowledge into their brains which is not really a natural way for the brain to learn because the brain likes to learn through exploration and play and experimentation and things like that so the TED talk was about you know how can we teach children from a growth mindset focused on development focused on not being the best but getting better and not proving yourself, but improving yourself. And, and I used my own son as an example, who obviously is raised from that growth mindset. I'm trying to you know, make sure that he, he does everything from a growth mindset. So whenever something is scary or new, I just say, just try it, see where it, where it leads you. 
And um, there's a video that I show where my husband was fishing. And he was really, he was a little bit pissed off because the fish just, they wouldn't bite. And my son was standing next to him and I used the book, uh, The Little Engine That Could, which is about a train having to go over a hill and thinking I'm not strong enough. And then it tries and it makes it over the hill. And the train says, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. So my, my son was standing next to my husband saying, you know what you need to say that? You need to say, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And to me, that was the ultimate example of success. <laughs> I felt so proud in that moment. And I think that sort of exemplifies how I look at education and, and also about, you know, raising kids. Excellent. No, I th- I, honestly, I, it, when I first saw that video, I thought this is, this is brilliant. Um, so I guess, you know, you talked there about that's the, I guess, the, the mentality and I guess the style of parenting that you want to kind of adopt and approach, um, have an approach with. How do you assess whether it's working or it's not working? Is it just based on those sorts of comments that your son has made or are there other key factors and considerations that you're looking out for? You 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 mean in my own children? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So in my kids, you can see it in how they deal with um, novelty. So how they deal with doing something they've never done before. And you can see that um, my youngest is two and a half. So with him, it's not, well, he, I mean, he's, he loves everything right now, but he's, he's only just learning to speak. So with him, you know, it's not really visible yet, but my eldest is eight. And with him, you can see that he will literally say out loud. Um, I've never done this. I don't know if I can do it, but I'll try. And I think the, but I will try. That's what you're looking for. Awesome. You want kids to try. And that, that yeah. makes me incredibly proud. hundred percent. So I guess just on that, then, you know, you talked there a lot about how the, school you know generally the education systems aren't in line with that uh, way of thinking it is very much well here's some information you're going to cram it into you and you're either going to get it or you're not um how do we break that how do we how do we get away from that how do we you know what are some of the key things that we have to start to look at and say right okay well this is how we need to start educating these people on how children do actually learn that's a very difficult question isn't it because it's you're talking about a whole reimagining of our educational system and it's i live in the netherlands but i think it's the same in the uk it's it's in the us i think this is a global problem the educational system was formed i guess during the industrial revolution where this was a normal way of teaching kids you would you would sit them down they would learn something and then they would go to work but the world has changed so much so i think we need to completely reframe how we approach kids and we need to focus much more on building them or, or letting them develop into resilient children who are able to deal with change. Because if there's one thing that the world is dominated by, our society is dominated by, then it's change. So obviously they need to learn to read and write. Yes, that's important. I'm not gonna say that we shouldn't do that. If it were up to me, I would gamify learning. I would turn all learning into play because that is more effective and it's more engaging. But on top of that, you also want kids to develop on the inside. So you want them to be mindful. You want them to focus on the community. You want them to learn how to collaborate. You want them to be curious about what goes on in other people's lives. You want them to develop empathy. These are all these soft skills that I am, if sometimes maybe a teacher will speak about it if they are passionate about it, but it's not integrated into our educational system. And I think that is something that we need to focus on more because that is building that growth mindset. Mm. For, in order to have a growth mindset, you need to be able to collaborate. You need to have empathy. All those skills come out if you work from that growth mindset. Mm. No, definitely. And there's, there's a couple of questions that come up for me then. Uh, I think maybe just to delve a little bit deeper. From your perspective, would you mind maybe just breaking out what you consider that growth mindset to actually be? Yes, of course. So um, 
as I said, a growth mindset is not necessarily about being the best, but it's about developing yourself. So getting better. Um, It's about seeing intelligence as a, as a construct that's, um, that you can change. So you can change your intelligence. IQ to me is worthless. And that's not just Mm -hmm. me. That's speaking from a scientific perspective as well. IQ says nothing about somebody's potential. So it's about focusing more on people's potential than about what they can do right now. And from a skills perspective, so the skills that you see in people with a growth mindset is that they're more creative because they're not afraid to try new things. You, You can see creativity come out because they're able to come up with multiple solutions to a problem. And then you also see courage because they have the courage to try it and they have the courage to fail. They take more ownership of the things that they do. They're better at collaborating because they don't see things as a competition because people from a fixed mindset, which is the opposite of a growth mindset, they tend to see things as a competition. They want to be the best. But if you're, you're working from a growth mindset, then you're more about collaboration, hmm. which also brings out perspective taking and empathy. So there's all these skills that come out in children and adults who, uh, when they work from a growth mindset. And again, this is something that you can develop over time. Everybody is born with a growth mindset. Hmm. The educational system is very good at just, you know, moving it towards a fixed mindset, but you can always move back, hmm. luckily. No, definitely. And I think one question that definitely pops up for me off the back of what you said at the beginning around the IQ thing not really meaning anything. Um, and all I could think about was, okay, so if I re- come back to my context as a coach, it's almost a difference between those those athletes who can perform an action again and again and again because it's done in a certain environment or certain context. So in this case, it could be, right, Marsha, you've got the football. I'm asking you to dribble in a, in a straight line and that's all I'm asking you to do. But you can, you can do that exceptionally well because that's the conditions that you've, I guess developed in, um, and I liken that to your, you know, your 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 idea of the IQ not meaning much because if you take that same person who's got great IQ at dribbling in that context, and now put them into a context where there's maybe two or three opponents in front of them, that IQ's gone out the window. So I guess from that perspective, and obviously it's not your field, but in the world in the world of coaching, would you say to maybe avoid? Um, environments or avoid types of uh, maybe drills or practices where there isn't interference like there would be in the real world, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I think, you know, the more, the closer you get to real world situations, the better it is. Mm. But if you want to develop one specific skill, then obviously I would say repeat it 10,000 times because that will make you good at it. But then once you have that, then you need to be able to use it in different contexts as well. I think, um, you know, my, my problem with IQ is that the whole concept of intelligence has never been properly defined. We don't really know what, when are you smart? Like what, what do you do when you're smart? Are you smart? If you're very, it it varies because um, you know, you can, you can, well, I'm going to take Lewis Hamilton as an example, ultimate sportsman. He's dyslexic. He's been very open about that. So he struggled in school. I would not say that Lewis Hamilton is not smart. He is a seven-time world champion. He is incredibly good. He understands his car like nobody else. He's half engineer, data scientist, sportsman, athlete, you know, all these things. Also, when it comes to the work in society that he does with his focus on diversity and inclusion, Lewis Hamilton is a very, very smart man. But then apparently, I don't know because I wasn't in school with him, but what he said is I wasn't very good in school. We tend to think of intelligence as being good in school, and that is ridiculous. Mm. So it's about, you know, are you able to apply your skills in a context which will help you succeed in whatever it is that you want to do. Mm. 
I don't know if that's an answer to your question, yeah, but that no, is no, something no. that I'm very passionate about. No, no, definitely. I, I can see that passion come through. So you know, thank you very much for that. But I, I guess what's coming through as you're talking there is just thinking to myself, well, actually, the system is set up in a way where it's actually really, from a, it is, you know, excuse the pun, it is a school of thought yeah. in the way that it should be kind of uh, done. Whereas really what you're saying is we need to create and create environments, whether that be in the school system or outside of it, that, allow for more a more of a diverse and inclusive element to whatever it is is happening um and i think and i think that's really key because ultimately what you're saying there is there's no one way fit that in you know, a one size fits all approach it can't be because yes like if you take lewis hamilton as an example that you just say he's got you know he might have he might be dyslexic but actually this guy's a world champion um seven times over and you can't take that away from him and you can't no. then say that well he doesn't know what he's doing well maybe he's just not well skilled in delivering in that way or performing in that way and it could be that actually if you ask if you have a conversation with him he can articulate everything he needs to say but he just can't maybe do it on on paper maybe i don't know yeah but, um which is obviously really interesting because obviously i was having this conversation with someone the other day I'm, I'm doing my master's at the moment and i feel i'm quite confident i know all the stuff but the reading and the writing is just it's just so long yeah. <laughs> it's really not for me. Like, that, that's probably been the biggest struggle for me not so much getting to grips with the content or um having an understanding of what the content is actually about but it's actually going through the post of doing the reading and doing the you know the writing piece and i, I guess it, i would probably similar similar to what lewis hamilton said i don't think i was that great in school Maybe not because i wasn't able to understand that i just never really applied myself because i just didn't feel the environment was allowing me to express myself around whatever it is that i was working on but i've digressed a little bit um if i come back so Maybe you can just share with us a little bit. Right, how, you, you talked about it being through play that children learn, um, and I think a lot of people probably have heard that before, and they probably um, have come across that that idea of think, that idea in terms of what that could look like. But how much of that is it down to the emotions that are developed within it? And I guess where my question is going is over the maybe the last couple of years in particular, I, I've done. You know, I've coached many players and many athletes. And what I thought initially was um, specific to the age groups that I worked with, I later, I guess, on reflection and just through more experimentation, I've understood that actually it can work across all. And basically what that was is when I put a session together or design a practice, I now must have an element of competition in there. Okay, um, which sounds silly, but the element of competition is literally just you against someone else. It doesn't have to be directly against one another, but there's some element of competition where you might be gaining points or whatever that might be. But one of the key things, obviously, in this sport, in football, is I ensure there's an element of transition in every everything that I do. So they're always going from either from attack to defense or defense to attack, um, because I believe it raises the intensity of the session. Now, in doing so just to paint a bit more context, I usually work with maybe 14s to kind of 19 year old uh, athletes, um, predominantly males. And I used to think that, okay, that was something that was maybe just geared towards helping those types of people uh, fit in that category. But as time's gone on, I've started experimenting with different ages and whatnot. So applied a similar context. But where I thought it was the intensity and the competition element and all of these things, that were important initially 
I've now realized actually it's got nothing to do with those things. It's more about the emotions that those things in, 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 invoke within them. Um, so through play or through competition in my context, actually what are they get? What is the feeling that they're having rather than what, are they, what is the thing they're actually doing? So the attachment to that is they, they're enjoying it. They've been able to socialize. They've been able to collaborate. They've been able to, um, they're getting fulfilled in, with all these different motions in different ways. And I guess what it's now challenged me to do is rather than look at the action or the behavior that they're actually carrying out, pay more attention to the emotion they're, get, they're gaining or they're, or, they're, or they're receiving through doing that. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, Perfect. You, you just explained play. That's what you did. <laughs> <laughs> so competition is a game mechanic. That's what yeah. we call it. If you play a game, you usually play against somebody else. And the element of competition makes it engaging. And engagement will bring out the emotions that you're just talking about. And if you fit that into a learning context, which is what you are doing, then the learning becomes much more efficient. Mm -hmm. We know this actually from neuroscientific research as well. If you learn something from a book or you learn something by, you know, playing it in a game, your hippocampus, the memory center in your brain becomes much more um, active. And that allows you to learn more efficiently. So adding all these elements that you're talking about, that's just adding game mechanics into the mix, which will make the learning more effective. Okay. So then I guess on that then, is it somewhat dangerous to assume that there's specific activities which bring these out? Because obviously at that point, you can potentially mis, uh, misunderstand or maybe disregard the individual needs and differences. Well, there are different types of players. Yeah. When I if just to, to stay into the context of, of gaming and play, you have uh, people who enjoy competition. Then you have people who enjoy helping others, different player type. You have people who enjoy exploration, also a different player type. So what you want to do is gear the activities towards the player type, so to speak. So towards the individual to make sure that it is, is as engaging as possible for them. Because if you don't like competition, then obviously that's not the type of game that you would enjoy playing. So just to, let's go into like the actual world of gaming. You have Minecraft, right? It's this online game. My son plays it all the time. It's called a sandbox game. You start with nothing and you build things. I don't get that. I'm like, what are we doing? I know. <laughs> I don't enjoy this because there's nothing. Give me a goal, please. What am I doing? And then you have Mario Kart, which is just two carts. Mario, Luigi, go. Who crosses the finish line first? That's competition. So Minecraft is exploration. Mario Kart is competition. I'm apparently a competitor. I like those Mario Kart types of games. My son is an explorer. He likes Minecraft. Yeah. So you have to keep it in mind. Obviously, it's never going to be 100% perfect, and it doesn't have to be because nobody. it's not like an explorer cannot enjoy a competitive game every once in a while. And I think you know, in the world of football, most likely you will have kids who are quite competitive. Yeah. Otherwise, they most likely wouldn't be very good at football. Um, so, yeah. I, th I think it's, it's really interesting because as you're talking through there, but when you first set the Minecraft thing, I think straight away, that's exploration. It's exploration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is no goal um, per se. Now, I, I guess it, it makes me again think about the context of which I'm coaching and, and what, what, I, what I began to do was obviously in, in, in the hopes of or in the quest of trying to develop more relevant uh, training sessions for the players that I particularly work with, I would often try different things and I would often get them to maybe try and pinpoint or explain to me the key things in that 
in the session or the practice that we were doing that they really enjoyed. So some of, for some of them, they, they couldn't really pinpoint a tangible thing other than, all right, we like the intensity. We like that it's high intensity. So now I had them, it then challenges me to write, okay, what are the ways in which I'm currently doing or applying that are, that are bringing that intensity out of the session? So then essentially what I've ended up with now is a series of ingredients that can put together an intense session, put together something that brings an element of competition. And, you know, the other, all the other things that I want to maybe, all the players or the athletes maybe want from a session, um, rather than looking at the specific constraints or, you know, nuances that I've put in the practice, if you like. And it's almost... It, it, it sounds a bit backwards, really, because I mean, when we first start coaching, when we start anything, we think like we want to try and find as many ways to do this as possible. But actually, as time's gone on, I've now found myself right. Well, I've already got about six or seven different types of sessions that I need to use because these do the job. Yeah. And I then, because I've got these six or seven, I don't really need to under, start developing new ones again and again and get to a point where actually every time I'm spending more time explaining what the new <laughs> or the new training new training session is rather than actually just doing. So I guess. Again, I've digressed a bit, but within that, then once they're in that, they're in they're in the environment. You've got the environment set for them, and you've prepared that right the, the practice that they're looking for that meets their needs. What would you say is the right balance in terms of direction um, against maybe just supervision of what's happening? Um, I'm, if I just talk about maybe a little bit more about the way I coach, it's very much it's a collaborative approach. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for me, it's much more about having an interdependent relationship with an athlete rather than leaving them to be independent. Um, because I feel like, well, if they're independent, I'm redundant. I don't, I'm not needed. Um, and not to say that I want, I need to feel needed, but why am I? Here? You're a coach for a reason, right? Yeah, that's my point. So I think it's getting to the point where they feel confident enough to go and do things alone. They've got enough uh, maturity and I guess understanding of whatever it is they're doing that they can potentially do that. But equally, they're psychologically and socially um, very aware to the point that actually, if they do find something challenging, if they do feel like they need some support, they've got the confidence to be able to come and reach out for that. So I guess how, how you know, w- from your perspective, would you say that that's a, an, an effective approach to have? Would you say that they maybe do, obviously everyone's got individual different needs, but yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I think generally speaking, what, what you're explaining sort of is, is, is um, something is, is a theory that I really think is very effective in education called the zone of proximal development. Right. Um, and it's, it's basically giving kids something that is just a little bit too difficult and then helping them as needed, which is called scaffolding, building a scaffold so that they can reach greater heights. It seems to be like that is what you're doing. Mm. I think that's great. There are other schools of thoughts as well. And I think in looking at football, I think, do you know Louis van Gaal? Probably a coach, Dutch, Dutch football coach. Louis does not do the zone of proximal development, or at least that's what it seems like to me. I've never, I'm not a football player. I've never worked with, but when I see how he does things, he seems a little bit more in the dictator kind yeah. of area. Uh, so, And I guess he's effective because he's been very successful. Um, so I don't know if it's the best way to do it, but the way you describe is, for me, that seems like an effective way because you're challenging kids, 
but you're letting them do it on their own, which is what you want. You want them to be, because when they're on the field, when they're playing a match, you're not there. You're not there on the field with them. You cannot do it for them. So they have to learn to do it themselves. And I think this scaffolding and the zone of proximal development is a very efficient and effective way. Um, And at the same time, what you mentioned about having six or seven different ways to approach things, I think that's great as well. You don't need a thousand because there are not that many individual differences, but it does allow you to look at the individual. And I think that is very important in education. And that is the one thing that they don't do in school. In school, it's, it's like, this is the way to do it. And if you want to do it differently, then you fail. Which, <laughs> no, yeah. you're definitely right. And I think for me, I guess one of the ways in which I try to, you're right, I think it's giving the players, you're giving the athletes an opportunity to express themselves and get an, 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 and demonstrate an understanding of whatever it is that they're doing. But I think more, more importantly for me, it's how we then interact with them on that process on that journey. So for me, a lot, a lot of the interactions I have with the athletes I work with is, is very much through questions mm-hmm. um, um, and not so much direction, unless I feel like actually you're completely on the wrong track. But even then my, my, my nature would, 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 would challenge me to develop a question that would gear them back towards where I need them to go to, as opposed to direct them. Um, I guess from my perspective, what I, what I find is that in the initial... St- Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Those, those, di- those bits of dialogue that I do have with the athletes tends to be quite lengthy, but as time progresses... And they've developed a better understanding through maybe the way I've pushed them and I guess nudged them in certain directions with my questions means that actually later down the line, it just becomes a, a brief prompt right, or reference point back to the conversations that we've had, as opposed to having to tell them again and again and again, because they haven't quite grasped it or understood it um, comprehensively. So I guess at what, you know, obviously again, it's individual needs that come into play here, but, you know, if we if we come back to your son, for instance, you said that you know I don't know how old he was in that video, but uh, five, I think. Yeah, so he was five in that video. Now to to get him to the point where he's actually now thinking on that level at at that age, um, you've obviously done something really well. So well done on that. <laughs> Thank guess, you. <laughs> how do we how do we then uh, ensure that even if we've got a a a, a young athlete or a young person who maybe didn't have that from the start of their journey or from, a, from an early age. How do we now start to develop that growth mindset and get them to start having a more positive outlook in terms of anything they're walking into, and in particular within sport and understanding that actually some of the things that you think you cannot do, actually you have the ability to do. And what would you say some of the strategies after that? 
Yeah, I think what you do sounds really great. It's it's what you're doing is building trust, building autonomy, uh, allowing them to express themselves, um, letting them ask questions, asking them questions. These would be all the things that you want to do. So you would want to be the positive role model then. Every every kid needs a role model. They do. And um, somebody who who they trust and somebody who builds the psychological safety they need in order to, you know, venture out of their comfort zones. Because if, if you don't, if you're not, if you're too afraid to step out of your comfort zone, you're never going to develop anything. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, for kids who don't have that at home, then you want to be the person who does that for them. And that it's very good that you're not directive because I think, you know, telling kids what to do, they will, well, they will turn into robots, really. They'll do it. But there's not much, you know, initiative there. So you want them to, take the initiative themselves. So building that psychological safety, building that trust, building that autonomy, being that person that they can look up to as he believes in me, he thinks I can do it. That's what you need to be. And it seems to me like that's what you're doing. So that is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've got, I guess it, it, I've got to a point where my philosophy is this. If you are, everyone has the answers. They just need to be asked the right questions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and for me, it's, people you know when I, when I come across other coaching we have discussions and people ask about you know the, what, how do you coach and what's the style of coaching that you adopt and what you know how would you describe your philosophy and things like that and I, I often refer to it as you know I consider myself to be a coach of the why I can have an idea on what players or athletes should be doing they'll have their own idea but I'm more interested in understanding why why they where is where is that thought process for them come from have they got a clear rationale and a justification as to why they're doing what they're doing and if they have great if they haven't, then obviously that's where the discussions need to kind of develop further and uh, they might need a bit more direction, not to say I'm going to be very directive with it, but they might need a bit more of a, a, a realignment in terms of where they're actually um, going with it. So I think for me, that approach has has definitely uh, seen, I've definitely seen different results in having that approach. Um, but one of the challenges that comes with that is traditionally... And I say maybe not, maybe not so much in the last five or five or ten years, but maybe before that. That's not viewed as coaching, generally. <laughs> coaching is generally viewed as quite directive. Quite, yeah. coach says you, uh, coach says this, player does that, um, and you have to literally, and, and literally follow that. So I think one of the biggest challenges that I've faced in my own coaching is the influence of maybe parents and and them, if you like, being reflective of their own personal. Uh, experiences and journeys around what coaching looks like and then challenging what I'm doing and saying well you're not coaching when are you going to start coaching well, no, I'm yeah. just doing it this way parents need to stay home sometimes don't they <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah but in this case you'd be coaching the parents as well I think uh, you're right that years ago this is not how coaching this is not what coaching looked like or what people would perceive as coaching but it really is this is coaching and what you're saying about you know figuring out why asking about the why that is massively important because if you can get to the root cause of why something is not working or why a kid is not developing or why he doesn't get it then you can solve it otherwise you're just looking at symptoms so asking about the why is amazing and i guess i know what you're talking about with the parents because especially when kids are good at something the parents will be so involved and it's with the best of intentions, but they need to understand that you're coach for a reason and they are not for a reason. And they need to just keep their distance. I, um, 
Yeah, I don't want to diss parents or anything because I know, again, people have the best of intentions with their children, but I am a firm believer in letting coaches do their job and them just being the parent. Uh, so if uh, my kid is eight, so I don't know if he's good at anything. He does a lot of stuff and he enjoys it. Right now, I haven't seen any you know, specific talent. As in, that's what he needs to do. But if that does happen, then I'm going to happily give him away to the coach and let the coach do its job because it is a profession. And you are here for a reason. So this is basically me saying to the parents, let you do your job because then the kid will develop to, you know, be the best that they can be. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so just on that then, uh, you know, we are talking about, how, again, I guess, uh, how to educate the next generation of young young people. Yeah. But in that then, as a parent, if we just tail off what you've just said there, what are the key things that a parent is maybe looking for to assess whether the environment that they're sending their child to is a, is one that is appropriate or one that is effective, if that makes sense? Because if you if you have got some of those parents who have got that mindset of actually that's what coaching looks like over there, and to what I'm seeing now isn't what coaching actually should look like or how I perceive coaching to be. Yeah. What are some of the questions or some of the things that maybe parents need to start considering? That's a very good question. I can only answer as a parent, obviously, but let me give you an example. Uh, my son, Christian, he, he's, uh, he, he does gymnastics. What I see there when it comes to co- what I've heard, and he just does it for fun. You know, it's not, it's, he's not in a high group or anything. It's just, it's for fun because he likes moving and he likes doing flips. Um, but when you look at the, the high level athletics or gymnastics sorry and 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 the the stories that i've heard of the pressure that is put on kids both into especially uh, girls in terms of losing weight or being better or being you know i guess what i would look for in a coach is somebody who would um approach my child from that growth mindset and who would always keep an eye on whether or not my son is still having a good time, mm. whether or not he is still enjoying it. Because yes, if you want to be good at something, you have to work hard and it's not always going to be pleasant. It's not always going to be fun, but you need to enjoy it. You need to really like what you do. And as a coach, you need to try to, you know, get the best out of a kid, but I would be looking as well at, is he still having a good time? And are you still, you know, do you keep that in mind when you do coach him? So I don't have a straight answer for you, but I, I as I'm speaking, I, I do, I kind of understand why parents would get involved in, mm-hmm. you know, the sport because they feel it's not done the right way. But then when I hear you speak, I'm, I'm, I feel like the way you're doing it is the right way. So then the parents need to be quiet. But um, the challenge sometimes, because it's literally, yeah. you're right, to, an, to, a, to a certain point, it is about educating the parents as well. And understand yeah, yeah. This is the way we do things over here or this is the way I'm doing things and this is and I guess for the coach as well it's almost right well these are the reasons why I'm doing it in this way I know that through my own experience that I probably you know I started coaching about 10 maybe 12 years ago and when I first started it was pretty much a directive approach not because that was who I wanted to be but that's because that's what I was told coaching should look like yeah, um, yeah. as time's gone on I've understood that actually that, that had, does have it, some of its benefits but there's also there's also a lot of cons to it as well, and there is that that limited nature of um, not you know lack of expression for people to kind of uh, work within. Um, it's very much right you have to do it this way, but and I guess in some ways 
if you don't do it in that way, really, I'm the one at fault because I've told you to do that way. And if it doesn't work, then you can point your finger at me. Um, <laughs> whereas if I allow you to express yourself a little bit more, not to say that I'm trying to take less responsibility, but if I allow, because I think it's actually more responsibility if I allow you to express yourself, because then again, if it goes wrong, you're going to point your finger at me and say, well, you, you, you allowed me to do this. Yeah. Um, so I think for, for me, but it was just almost through through my experience, I thought, okay, there's, 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 there's other ways that this can be done. I'm looking at what's going on out there and I'm seeing what other people are doing. I'm thinking, so why are you doing it that? Why are you doing that? Like, it doesn't make sense. Why, why, why did I do that? I like, it's almost like because I was told this was the way to do it, I didn't really challenge it. And I guess over the last few years in particular, maybe last six, seven years more specifically, I've, I've just become a lot more inquisitive and curious around it. And, you know, hence why I'm sitting here with someone like yourself having these conversations, trying to think, okay, how do we get better at this thing that we call growth? Yeah. Or how do yeah. we get better at this thing that we call develop- development or however you wish to view it? And it's, what does that look like? And for me, I, <clears throat> the things I've come up with, and like, it's like I said, you know, it's about, well, play is great, competition is great, but it's about the emotion that it's, that, that it's not so much the action, it's the emotion that we're bringing. Because you're right, any time that I've maybe learned something and really embedded it is because I was emotionally attached to it in that situation. Uh, it doesn't mean I was, um, you know, soppy and whatnot, but it just means that in that, in that moment, I was really in focus and attuned to what was going on. Your so, brain, it's, there's a, there's a neural explanation for that. Yeah. It, it just activates your brain in a way that allows you to store it in a more efficient way. So that's so, completely neuro, neuroscientifically sound. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So I guess on that note, then um, the question that really kind of pops out for me is, is there things that we can actively do or proactively do to get the brain to switch on before we're even in it? So for me, it's about when I'm speaking to a a player or an athlete, I really want them to really get a greater understanding of something. Um, If it's an action that they're performing, I'm not only asking them now to, so the conversation might be right, Marshall. I want you to play this pass like over here. It's up to you how you do it, but I want you to. We're going to do this a number of times, but I really want you to pay attention to how your body's feeling as you go through. So physically, how are you feeling, and maybe emotionally, how are you feeling through this action? And I want you to kind of maybe just do some self-reflection, do some observation over maybe the next ten repetitions, and you tell me if all of these ten repetitions were successful, which one you felt most comfortable with. But I want you not just to highlight which one you were most comfortable with. I want you to explain to me what it was that you felt, both physically and emotionally, which led you to this point where you've decided that was the most comfortable one. Because if we can recreate that, and this is, again, there's no science for me behind this. I'm just going off what I'm seeing and what I feel is the right thing to do. is a gut instinct, if you like. If we can create more experiences where you're actually able to put yourself in that same comfort zone because of the things you're feeling and both physically and emotionally, then I believe we can get more success out of this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think there's one perfect way to coach. I think everybody has their own style. But what I do hear, the first thing that came to my mind when you said, what can we do in advance before we start, is um, the way you give feedback matters. Mm. There's informative feedback and there's confirmatory feedback. What what, What I've seen in the past often, I guess, in, uh, especially at you know, higher levels, is uh, confirmatory feedback, which is, that's not the way to do it. Try again. Try again. Try again. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Try again. 
which is great. I mean, they try again, but it's not very informative and it triggers the brain to just go into um, to focus on the negative emotion associated with hearing that you're not doing it the right way. So if you give confirmatory feedback, if you only say that's not the way to do it, you need to practice more, then the brain will focus mostly on, I feel really crappy about hearing this. And it's not focused on what can I do to improve? Instead, if you give informative feedback, which I think is what you're doing when you're saying, let's do this again. I just want you to get from there to there, from A to B. But then also, as you're doing it, focus on this and this and this. That's very informative. So what will happen then is that instead of focusing on those negative emotions, the brain will start focusing on processing that information. It will focus on learning. And obviously, that's what you want your brain to do when you're trying to learn something new. So again, there's no perfect way to do it but to coach, but when it comes to giving feedback, which is essential for learning, then make sure that it's informative feedback. So it, it, it contains information on what to do to improve instead of just saying that's not good enough. Mm. And I, I guess where my question and, and my approach really comes from is, is really how important is it for the person in the learning process to have a true awareness of what's happening rather than just experiencing an emotion. So you said that, um, you know, we learn through play and ultimately it's because we're, we're enjoying and we're, we're really concentrating on what's going on. But um, as much as that could be happening, there's also probably many, uh, many examples of people having those same emotions, having the same things, but and developing in the process, but not really understanding what's happened in, in terms of that development process itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hence why you get the, you know, I guess some great players or athletes who necessarily can't become great coaches because they don't actually <laughs> process. They just happen to be able to do the things that they need to be doing, if that makes sense. So Definitely. How, yeah. How, how important is that then that the person is um, highly aware or highly self-aware about the experience as it's happening? I think it depends on how they learn. Okay. You have people who need to understand it in order to do it. For them, it would help them to really understand what am I doing with my body and where am I going? Uh, because they need that cognitive, they need to learn it on a cognitive level and then they can do it with their bodies. But then there are also people who are very intuitive instead of cognitive. And for them, it's this feels right. Yeah. And then they cannot explain what is happening, but it feels right. And I don't think either one is better than the other. It just sure. depends on their preference. Sure. And so my question on that then is those people who this just feels right. How is it, is it, is it of any benefit to them to understand why it feels right? Or is it just irrelevant? If they get the results that they want to get, then it's irrelevant unless they want to become a coach <laughs> because then do it until it feels right. is not very important. <laughs> then it would help if they're able to explain it. No, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like they need to be able to explain everything that happens. Um, you know, I know less about football, a lot about Formula One. And I've always heard, you know, drivers say that they feel at one with their car and they cannot really explain it, but they can mm -hmm. feel like the slightest move of the car on that. They feel yeah. it as if it's part of their bodies, which to me sounds very intuitive and that's fine. Yeah. Okay, 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 and I guess that's essentially the path I want to try and lead the athletes down is understanding, right, okay, what is your body telling you in this moment? Yeah. Now, even if it's something that you feel is uncomfortable, now, now, now connect that feeling of comfortable or uncomfortable to the result. What's the result yeah. you're getting? And I guess why I do that is to try and help them understand, okay, sometimes you might feel uncomfortable in the action that you're performing, 
because it might be foreign to you and not because it's wrong or for the for you or your body if that makes sense because yeah. if you're getting that result that you're looking for but actually the feeling you're getting is one that's uncomfortable it could be because it's a new thing you're trying and that's yeah. as opposed to right this is uncomfortable i'm gonna get an injury here um i i, I for me I, I i i believe that to be very important for the players to understand um now, I'm, I'm, I mean, we can talk for hours about this, I'm sure. <laughs> I guess, you know, just as we look to kind of wind down there, Marsha, would you mind maybe just giving us some maybe key tips or steps that maybe coaches or even if there's any players listening to this that can think about, A, developing that growth mindset and some key strategies around how to maybe set an effective and appropriate environment for maximal development? Um. So developing a growth mindset is really context dependent. Um, I think the first thing you want to do is understand the difference between growth and fixed and to understand that you're not one or the other. Never. You're never going to be one or the other. You're always going to be a combination of growth and fixed depending on the situation that you're in. Mm -hmm. So that is okay to accept that, that even if you feel like you're in a fixed mindset, you're like, I cannot do this. I cannot do this, which is kind of a fixed mindset. It's okay to feel like that. What you want to do is when it matters, you want to challenge yourself. And I think there's a big, big role for coaches here when it comes to coaching players. When they have a player that is in a fixed mindset, challenge them. Challenge them to try, create psychological safety. So make sure that if they fail, you are there for them. Don't chop their head off because then they will never, ever do it again. Just, just on that before you continue. In that process of being there for them, how important is it that we maybe have a discussion around how we're going to be there for them? in terms of what in what in what ways are we going to be there for them because it's very much for me I, I think it's great saying i'm going to be there for you but we also need to understand what there for them looks like for them yeah yeah that is something i think that you build over time because that's about building trust and making sure that you're that safety net so it, you tell them and then when it happens you do it that is even more important than telling them if you do it you don't even have to tell them because then they will know they will find out pretty soon if you if you are there for them or if you're going to be very critical when they make mistakes obviously you want to talk about mistakes so the second tip would be not to just say oh that was great let's do it again <clears throat> no it's not great because you're going to get better and it is absolutely okay to say <clears throat> sorry that wasn't great but then do tell them what they need to do to improve and then encourage them. And that is intonation, you know, the words that you use and how you, how you um, um, conduct yourself around them. Um, so it's make sure that they have concrete steps they can take in order to improve. Mm. Um, and I guess the third tip that I would give is look at the individual, which is something that, I've hear, that I hear you saying a lot. You know, try to look at the individual. What type of learners are they? Are they the ones that are intuitive? Or maybe... Do you need to explain it to them a little bit more? Some kids just need it explained in words a little bit more before they can try it. And some are just say, here's the ball, go. Mm. Um, so yeah, try to look at the individual. I think that's re re really interesting because as you're talking through, I'm just thinking about my own experiences and what I've, I guess I've realized that I've done is even when it comes down to do maybe doing demonstrations, I've understood that, let's just say we've got 10 different players here, that although these three might be the strongest in the group, they're not always the ones that get it straight away. Mm -hmm. So they might be able to perform it once they get it yeah like the ones somewhere in the middle maybe even the bottom end of the group are the ones that get it straight away they might not be able to perform it as a, at, an, at an exceptional level um but because they get it i i guess i've I, I really quickly when i get into an environment trying to assess right who gets it because those people who get it are essentially going to be the people who i now lean on to do maybe do demonstrations and things like that going forward so that the others can actually have a look at 
the demonstration. It's like, well, once Marsh has seen Tom do it, Marsh has got it. I know Marsh will be able to do this once she understands what she needs to do. Yeah. Now that Marsh has understood it, all right, Marsh, you're going to demonstrate going forward because now I know that not only you've understood it, but now you can perform it at this level. So yeah. I'm to see the top standard demonstration, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, that's great. Um, so, okay, and, and final, final thing, then in terms of the environment, what are some of the key things that maybe coaches and people can be doing to kind of maybe set an appropriate environment for maximum development? Um, it can be result-oriented because if you want to get results, you have to focus on them. That's fine. Uh, but do it in a way that is constructive. Um, and the one thing that, especially when it comes to sports, is really important. The focus has always been on talent. Um, but, you know, this saying hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah. I'll also focus on that. And there was this great we had. Um, well, we didn't do very well. I'm Dutch. We didn't do very well in the European championships, obviously. But there was one player who really stood out. His name was Denzel Dumfries. Um, and he was a player who wasn't he wasn't the biggest talent when he was younger, but he is such a hard worker and he was the most valuable player on the field during this uh, European championship. So make sure that you don't only focus on the star players, but also look at the ones in the back who may seem like, you know, hmm, don't know if they have the talent, but if you get them in the right mindset, in the right frame of mind, then, you know, the, 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 the potential is mm-hmm. endless. So, yeah, set an environment in which everybody has the opportunity to grow. And that all comes down to psychological safety again. I cannot mention that enough because that is a prerequisite for anything. Mm. Brilliant. No, Marsha, thank you very much for that. It's been an, another fascinating conversation. I'm still gutted that the first one didn't because <laughs> it was just so much great content in there. But um, Marsha, just, just on a final note then, you know, as we look to wrap up, um, if there's any listeners or viewers that maybe wanted to get in touch with you to find a little bit more about what we've discussed here or if there's any um, or if they've got any questions beyond that, is there somewhere they can get in touch with you or get access to some of your work? Yeah, so the best, I'm working on a website. It's not finished yet. Once it finished, uh, finishes, it will be um, brainmattersconsulting.com. That's going to be the website. And for now, they can just find me on LinkedIn. And I'm always happy to, I'm always open to connections, always happy to exchange messages. So, yeah. Awesome. But Marsha, thank you again for your time today. It's been very helpful, um, very insightful, and I've, I've really enjoyed it. Hope you have too. I um, have, yes. You have a great day and take care. Thank you. You as well. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.